Let us turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, this morning we're going to read from verse 14 all the way to 41, a really long passage, because here this morning what we are going to hear from is the first ever sermon that was preached in the New Testament era with the Holy Spirit having now come and filled the lives of believers. The, the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit has come, and Peter is going to preach this, his first sermon. The Spirit, as you will recall from last week, had filled and empowered the believers there that were in that room, that 120, and they literally, by the Spirit's power, are doing miracles, and the miracle that we just saw and is now on display is that they are preaching the gospel with boldness in real languages that five minutes earlier they literally did not know how to speak. So we look at this and we go, this is a miracle. This is the gifting of God. This is certainly not something that we and they could never have done on their own. This is the power of God at work. What's more, this is Peter's first ever sermon. This is his first real public speaking opportunity, and we know from the scripture at the end of this passage that we will read that 3,000 people get saved that day. Not bad for a first sermon ever. I remember with great shame my first ever sermon. Uh, I was 16 years old. And I preached this sermon as a class project, uh, as a part of the Christian school that I was attending at the time. Um, I am not sure that even in that moment that I was yet a believer. It was somewhere around 16 years old that I came to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Um, I do know this. When I preached this little sermonette, I did not at all get the gospel. It had not really filled my heart in a way that I grasped it. Uh, as evidence for it, I remember well the title. The title of that sermon was, Righteousness Reaps Reward, Rebellion Reaps Reckoning, from Galatians chapter 6. Now, obviously, the real power in any good sermon is alliteration, so I succeeded there, six R's in a row, that's pretty good. Um, I, I will tell you, my words that day, my sermon that day was hot garbage. It was a dumpster fire of epic proportions, because what I shared that day was complete legalism from the first word until the last, because I didn't really understand yet that all of my righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord, and I didn't yet understand that it was Jesus' perfect righteousness gifted to me. I didn't really understand that on my own, my heart was in a position of rebellion that I could never change on my own, and that I needed God's grace towards me. And so what I spoke that day was weak. So what was the, the difference between Peter's sermon and Ben's sermon that day? Well, a few obvious things. Jesus. Jesus is so profound in Peter's sermon uh, this morning. Peter will rightly divide the word of truth in the sermon that we will read here in just a moment. And certainly Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit so as to be able to clearly speak the gospel message to a room full of people or to a, a city full of people who did not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So as I studied this week, and honestly every week, my prayer is that the words that I speak, the words that I preach might clearly reflect, reflect Jesus and his gospel. And my prayer is that we as a church, that the words we speak daily in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in conversations, that when 
the topic of spirituality comes up, that first and foremost, that we might, like Peter does here this morning, speak about Jesus, and that we might talk about the good news of the gospel. It's worth thinking about, even as we hear Peter preach this morning, what is it that people hear from you when you get into conversations with them, particularly spiritual conversations? What is it that you want to talk about? And let's consider now in light of God's word what it is that we should be talking about. So beginning in chapter 2 and verse 14 all the way to verse 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Okay? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he, his flesh, see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Pretty good first sermon. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's take a minute and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word in humility and thankfulness and joy. We come to you this morning and we, we pray that you might teach us through your word this morning, remind us of the goodness of your power and grace, and show us, Lord, the words that we ought to be speaking as we share this same good news with others. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Three things our church should preach and talk about. This morning from this powerful sermon, three things that our church should preach and that we should talk about. Number one, let our words be filled with God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let our words be filled with God's words in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this uh, particularly in verses 14 through 21, although we see it very clearly throughout this idea first of our words should be filled with God's word. Peter, at the very beginning of his sermon, he says this to the crowd, give ear to my words, listen to me, and the very next words out of his mouth are not his words. They're God's word. That is incredibly instructive for us. If at any point in time you feel so led to use the phrase, God told me to tell you. God told me to tell you. The next words that come out of your mouth better be based on the Word of God. We are not in authority. He is. And so when he says, give ear to my words, his word is God's word. And so when the time has now come here for him to witness, what Peter does is he preaches a sermon from the Old Testament Scripture. Why the Old Testament? Because that's all they have. The New Testament is literally be, being recorded and taking place in their midst. And so as we think about ourselves today, if you want to talk about God, use the words that he uses to explain and to describe himself. If you want to talk about grace and truth, if you want to talk about heaven and hell, if you want to talk about life and death, if you want to talk about mercy and justice, talk about it using the words that God has given to us. We live in an era of church history where we love to hear ourselves talk. We live in an era of church history where we love to avoid what God has said in his word and we prefer much more to hear ourselves let it be not so. This sermon in front of us is a good reminder that our words should be his words. Peter preaches an expository sermon where he takes a text of Scripture and walks through it. In fact, he takes three texts of Scripture, if you noticed. He is preaching from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, 
and then he will preach to us from Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and then he will finish off by preaching to us from Psalm 110 and verse 1. And in all of these, he is showing us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that Jesus is God, and he is the fulfillment of these passages, and that the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent is the fulfillment of these passages. Listen to Joel chapter 2. This is verses 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So the promise of the spirit was for everybody who would receive it. And now it is taking place. Peter is telling them specifically, this moment recorded for us in the book of Acts, it is now happening. The promise of Joel is here and is now. All of the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is being fulfilled, and there will be new moments of prophecy that take place here in the New Testament. In just a few chapters, we'll see a believer named Agabus who will, cu- who will speak up and prophesy, and in their lifetime, his prophetic word will come to be true as well. People are boldly speaking the truth of God's word. Peter, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 10, he will see a vision, and in that vision, God will make it clear to him that the gospel is for both Jews and Gentiles. So people are experiencing what has been promised, and Joel tells us, and now Peter confirms, that it is all going to happen before Jesus returns one day. And then it ends with this powerful word, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They had to have had some understanding of that in the Old Testament, but now they're seeing the fullness of that promise right in front of them. Let God's words be our words. Let us explain to people the good news using God's words. Let our words be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God's word, his spirit as well. You'll see here that some of the crowd is very quick, and we saw this last week as well, Some of the crowd is very quick to mock and to reject what the Holy Spirit is doing. They accuse the believers who are speaking of being drunk, and so here Peter is defending and explaining what's going on, that that is not in fact the case, that what is taking place is the miraculous, astounding work of the Holy Spirit. Believer, do not go silent when the world mocks your God. Do not go silent when the world mocks you as a follower of Jesus. But also, don't be surprised. Not just that you're going to experience some level of persecution. Don't be surprised when the God of this universe shows up and manifests his power and enables you to do things that you're going, I could never do that on my own. Don't be surprised. You're not on your own. You have the spirit of God within you. Don't be surprised when God brings spiritually dead hearts back to life. That's what he does. He is incredibly powerful. He has the ability to move someone from an enemy of God to a friend of God. So don't be silenced and don't be surprised by the grace of God. So if that then is the case, how do we access this Holy Spirit power in our own lives that we might preach and speak clearly God's word of good news? I'll remind you what we learned last week, that every believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment 
of their salvation. It actually says that clearly yet again in this morning's passage. And believers are given to the Holy Spirit at the moment of their conversion, and believers are called to be filled. There's a command and a response on our part to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? As a believer, think about it this way. I've been forgiven of all of my sin. 100% of my sins have been forgiven purely by the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And yet, in my daily prayer conversations and walk with God, I will confess my sin to God and say, forgive me. Why? Because I haven't been forgiven? Because in my ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I recognize that I wander from him constantly. He didn't change. I changed. And so a part of my daily experience is, yes, I've been fully forgiven, and yet I call upon the Lord and say, I messed up again. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. In the same way, in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have been given from the moment of your salvation the Holy Spirit. He is within you. When we use the language of asking Jesus into our heart, that is the reality that the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts and lives, and yet at the same time, the Bible commands us to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I didn't have it? No. Because I'm daily in my prayer conversation and relationship with God saying, Lord, I have wandered from you and your power. Instead of being filled to overflowing by your Holy Spirit, I tend to wander off to these other sources that that cannot possibly fill me up. Fill me again with your Holy Spirit so that I might boldly share, lovingly share the good news of Jesus. So number one, be filled with God's word and the Holy Spirit's power. Number two, and we see this in the middle of the passage, really verses 22 through 36 that include both of the quotes of Psalms that he's bringing us to. Number two, let our words be filled with Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Let our words be filled with Jesus and the good news of the gospel. Listen to just the first couple of verses here at the beginning of this this middle section. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Talk about who Jesus is and talk about what Jesus has done. This sermon is a great sermon because it is Christ-centered. It is all about Jesus. And Peter is going to begin by telling us that Jesus proved himself by signs and wonders. When Jesus cast out demons, when he walked on water, when he turned water into wine, when he calmed the storm, when he raised his dead friend Lazarus back to life, he proved, he confirmed himself through signs and wonders. But more than that, The Son of God, Peter says, was crucified and died for your sins. So if you are going to tell anyone anything about your faith, let it be first your take on the 2024 presidential election. If you are going to lead with anything, let it be your take on masks. 
If you are going to talk about anything, if you're going to get into a spiritual conversation, make sure the first thing that you cover is vaccines. Nah. If you are going to talk about anything, if you have the opportunity to get into a spiritual conversation, let it be about this. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins that nobody could ever pay on their own, and then three days later rose from the dead, conquered sin and death on your behalf. It's a free gift, and you can receive it right now. Y'all, that took me 12 seconds to say. If you are in an elevator with somebody, you can get that sentence out. Let that be our words. Let our words be about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. See, Jesus offers salvation to anyone who will ask. He offers an exchange. His perfect life for my wretched, sinful life. He offers a perfect exchange, heaven for hell. He offers eternal life because three days after he died, he wasn't finished. He rose again from the dead. And it says he loosened the pangs. He broke the chains of sin and death, not just for him, but all of those who will follow after him. He has made a way to eternal life. And if you've never personally, in your own heart of hearts, come to ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. Hear these words, not my words, God's words to you. Let today be the day that you respond and say, Jesus, I need you. Why? Let me challenge you with this idea, because it is not about what you do. It is about what Jesus has done. It is not about what you do. It is about what Jesus has already done. Notice, Peter in his sermon does not say this. You guys should be more like Jesus. You guys should do good stuff like Jesus. There will come a day when a person has experienced the grace of Jesus, has been forgiven of their sins, been given new life and the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, that yes, we are called to follow after Jesus. But he is talking to people who have not been saved, who are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And he doesn't say, do good things and act like Jesus. He tells them about what Jesus has already done. That is our message as well. Every religion, every worldview, save one, begins with what can you do to earn your way to whatever it is that they may call heaven. Be a good person before you turn back into dust if you are an atheist or agnostic. Earn your way to nirvana or earn your way to good karma or pay your debt to society through social action and good works. In every way, they have missed the boat. There is only one that says you can do nothing to earn your salvation. And there begins the truth and the freedom of the gospel. It is a free gift. Your salvation has been accomplished by God, who did for you what you would never do yourself. Every religion says, how can I get to God? Only one, God came down for you on your behalf, and all you have to do is nothing. All you have to do is nothing. 
Let me be precise. All you have to do is accept the free gift that has been offered to you by the God of perfect mercy and perfect justice. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is the promise. So people of God, preach the gospel first. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. But let me add this, because Peter adds it, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, let our words be filled with boldness and love to talk about sin and death. Still on point two. I didn't sneak another point in there. When we talk about Jesus and the gospel, the good news, we've got to be clear about what the bad news is in the first place. And we see this especially in verses 23 and 24. Peter wasn't afraid to go there. He wasn't afraid, in fact, to talk about the biblical reality, wait for it, of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. In fact, that's exactly where he goes here. And he tells us God is sovereign over everything and just over everything. In fact, what we are being told here by Peter is this. We are told that God used the greatest injustice of all time. Not one he was surprised by. He used the greatest injustice of all time that he planned, that he foreknew the murder of his one and only son to bring the greatest mercy of all time, your salvation. What does that tell you? These people here, though, who rejected and killed Jesus are still responsible. Even though it was ordained by God, there is divine sovereignty and there is human responsibility. And do not pass it off on them and go, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. We all, in our sinfulness, from the moment of our conception, reject Jesus who is hanging on that cross. And so Peter talks about sin. He has boldness. Did you notice exactly what he said to these people? He goes, you killed Jesus. Wow. I mean, if you're trying to make friends and influence people, maybe not the best way to lead out. You killed Jesus. He is fully aware. He is standing in the middle of the city where 50 days earlier, they killed Jesus. He is talking to the exact same people who 50 days earlier all yelled out very clearly, crucify him. He is not mincing words because when you and I talk about sin, we have to be clear that sin is serious. And sin is not just out there, it's in here. Sin is personal. Sin is not a sickness. Sin is death. And so he speaks with boldness, but notice that Peter also wasn't afraid to speak the good news, to speak the truth in love. He's speaking the truth in love. Oh, how God's church today might remember how to speak the truth in love. We need to love people enough to say to them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. But every time we talk about the reality of sin, it has got to be based in a humility that says, listen, I am the chief of sinners. If there's two people in the room and I'm telling you about sin, I promise you I'm worse. And I'm not telling you something that I don't need every day in my life, which is the grace of Jesus. When you come to people and you talk about the bad news of sin, it must be in a position of the greatness of Jesus and the reality that, listen, you're talking to a sinner. 
It eliminates the, the self-righteousness. It eliminates the I'm better than you. It eliminates the holier than now. It eliminates the misunderstanding that so often people will have about Christianity that they think being a Christian means I'm better than you. Very much Christianity is I'm worse than you. I have an amazing Savior and I want to introduce you to him as well. He loves them enough to share the good news, even if it means that they will kill him. We know from church history that eventually that exact thing happens. Peter is crucified upside down on a cross a few years later. Why? Because he wouldn't stop talking about the good news of the gospel. Why would he do that? Why would we do that? Because we, like Peter, have seen the grace of Jesus in action. That Jesus willingly went to a cross to die for the people who were putting him there. And we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit in action that is moving dead hearts to life. And so Peter can't help but talk about Jesus. He can't help but talk about the good news of the gospel. He can't help but preach the truth in love. Third and finally, we see this in verses 37 through 41. In our daily conversations and in our preaching as a church, let our words be filled with repentance and forgiveness. Let our words, like these here on the pages of Scripture, be filled with repentance and forgiveness. I want to read just these, these final couple verses that show us people who are hearing the truth and responding. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Let our words be filled with repentance. The Bible says here that when they heard the word of God spoken through the mouth of Peter, that they were cut to the heart. This is reaching their, their heart of hearts. This is the deep down. They admitted that they were sinners. They understand this much now. They understand that they are without help and without hope. Have you come to that place in your life where you recognize that on your own you are empty, spiritually empty? Here, these people also understand that their own wickedness deserves God's wrath. They see the problem clearly. And so the greatest question that any person on the planet can ever ask is the question that they ask, what do I do about it? I see the problem. I see the bad news. What do I do about it? In Acts chapter 16, a few chapters down the road, there will be a Philippian jailer who after seeing the power of the Holy Spirit and after having hear, heard the good news of the gospel preached by Paul and Silas, he will say the same thing. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the question, and he gives them the answer here in this sermon. But do you know what keeps most people from becoming Christians? At the end of the day, for most people, it comes down to this. I can't admit 
that I can't save myself. We despise the idea of needing help. The greatest stumbling block to faith is confessing, I can't do it myself. Repentance means turning. Repentance means turning from sin. Repentance means turning from myself, self-lordship and self-reliance. Repentance means turning from that and saying, I am turning to Jesus. And I'm asking for His forgiveness. I'm asking for His lordship in my life. And repentance isn't a one-time moment. Repentance is a relationship with God thing. But repentance is ultimately grounded in forgiveness. How does Peter know? Well, remember back, just 50 days earlier, what happened? 50 days earlier, Peter committed the greatest denial in human history. When a few people came up to Peter and said, aren't you with that Jesus guy that we've been hearing so much about? And Peter looked over. The Bible actually says Peter looked over. He saw Jesus, who in that moment was being beaten and tortured, who in that moment was being spit upon and lied about, who in that moment was being prepared for the bloody cross. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, I've never heard of him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Peter wants to talk about forgiveness. Why? Because he's experienced it. Because Jesus forgave Peter of the greatest denial in human history. And so Peter is coming to these people and saying, listen, if Jesus can forgive me for all the terrible things that I've done, then he will joyfully forgive you as well. What must I do to be saved? Repent, turn to Jesus, and ask for his forgiveness. Let our words and our lives be filled with this in Jesus, receive forgiveness of sins, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be baptized as a symbol of God's washing you from sin, as a symbol of his pouring his spirit upon you, as a symbol of being raised from death to life. The Bible says the covenant promise is for you and for your children, and it is for everyone, even you who are far off. And that day, 3,000 people went from death to life, and we will see all 3,000 of those people someday in heaven. May our words be this, filled with God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with Jesus and the good news of the gospel, and filled with an invitation to repentance and forgiveness.